the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rhody Fisher. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. My name is Rhody Fisher, and thank you for joining us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us all here. Lord, we ask that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome. We are in Psalm 59 this morning. I um, I, I know I've said this before, but David seems to be running from Saul in a lot of these Psalms. And it's been, it was going on for years. I mean, it, probably over 10 years. Um, but you can see that his heart's cry in many of these Psalms is the same story. David is, cha- I mean, Saul is chasing David, not just to chase him, but to kill him. And in this case, um, let's, let's, he's married to Saul's daughter. She has just helped him escape again. And I'm sure that didn't make Saul happy. Um, Saul has had his men after David for years. He's, um, you know, I, I'll just say that Saul is jealous of David. David is like the fan favorite. He, he's out on the battlefield. He, he, there's that saying, you know, where they said, Saul's killed thousands. David has killed tens thousands. And and so there's that competition. Quieres much macho, I think they call it in Spanish. But there's that competition going on between the two. It's not maybe necessarily with David, but it's definitely with Saul. He wants David out of there. He wants to get rid of him. So he's got his man after him. And David is calling on the Lord again. And here he is. Um, Give us understanding of your word, Lord. Here it begins in Psalm 59. And the the beginning of it before verse 1, it says, For the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, it says. I I believe it was like one one of the favorite tunes of David. Um, But it doesn't say of, uh, you know, I said it was one of his favorite tunes. And then it says uh, here of David. Um, in, Melcham, in Meltam, when Saul had sent men to watch David's house in order to kill him. So this is, this is the groundwork. Saul sends his men over to kill him. And he starts here, David starts in verse one, deliver me from my enemies, O God. They're after me again, you know, deliver me, Lord, please. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the from evildoers and save me from bloodthirsty men. I forgot to mention I'm reading out of the NIV. <clears throat> okay, verse 3. See how they lie in wait for me? Fierce men con- conspire against me for no offense or sin on, my, on mine, O Lord. So he's saying... I haven't committed any sins against them. There's no reason for them to be after me. Um, they're they're doing it because they've been told. There's a price on his head. Get him. In verse 4, I have done no wrong, yet they're ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look at my look on my plight. O Lord, God Almighty, the God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Show no mercy to the wicked um, traitors. Selah. They return in at evening, snarling like dogs, and prowl about the city. See what they spew from their mouths. They spew out swords from their from their lips. Okay, sorry about that. And they say, "Who can hear us? 
But you, O oh Lord, laugh at them. You know, they David is, is, knows that all this stuff that they're plotting, God could take care of it. He's, he's laughing at this stuff. <clears throat> you scoff at all those nations. Oh, my strength, I watch for you. So God, he's calling God his strength. He knows where his strength comes from. You, O oh God, are my fortress, my loving God. God will go before me and I will let me gloat and will let me gloat over those who slander me. But I, I find this interesting, this this next verse, verse 11. He says, but do not kill them, O Lord, our shield, or my people will forget. In your might, make them wander about and bring them down for the sins of their mouths, uh, for the words of their lips. Let them be caught in their own pride for the for the curses and lies they utter. Consume them in wrath. Consume them until they are no more. Then I, it will, sorry about that. Then it will be known to the ends of the earth that God rules over Jacob, Selah. They return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowl around the, the city. They wander about for food and howl if not satisfied. But I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love for you are my fortress my revent my my refuge in times of trouble oh my strength i sing praise to you you oh god are my fortress my loving god so so there david is giving praise to the lord he's leaning on god god is his fortress and his strength and he will get it get get him through this i find it interesting that he says um do not kill them you know he he wants them to go through what they're going to do, go through, and it will take, their plan will take them down. And, um, but he's just wanting strength and protection. So anyway, thank you for your word, Lord. Um, I would like to introduce you again to my special guest today. She's been here before. And um, just as a little background or a reminder, um, I know we met about 20 years ago. Um, It's probably been over that because it was during the time that um, my husband and I were, um, we had started a Muslim ministry with with George and we were um, focusing on teaching a lot of the people at different churches what Islam was all about and and how to witness to Muslims. And so... um, Thereupon meeting you. So, Susan Kunzler, I I learned her name wrong for years, and I said it wrong for years. And finally, when we went on a trip together, I saw it on our paperwork, and I thought, wait a minute, I've been pronouncing it wrong. But um, Kunzler. Anyhow, thank you. Welcome, Susan. I'm so happy to be here with you, Rhody. As always, um, it's lovely to talk with you. And for those of you that can actually see us, Susan is wearing her very lovely Turkish outfit. And as a reminder to guests, if we you haven't seen our, our talk before, we went to Turkey together. And so that's one of our favorite places. But welcome. Thank you. Um, just as a another reminder to the guests, I'd like for you to talk a little bit about, shorter maybe, about your background, um, as kind of clear and precise as you can be, or maybe vague, as you have to be to protect, you know, others. Um, tell us a little bit about your background up until accepting the Lord. I, I really would like to hear, you know, kind of where you're born, where do you, where you brought up. I know this. I know the answer to this, but were you brought up in a church atmosphere? Did you go to church? What was your background like? Um, definitely not. <laughs> I was not raised in the church. Um, I was born in Vietnam. Um, my father worked for the military, laying down airstrips, came back from a contract, met my mother, got married, and they went back on another contract. Um, so my birth certificate is actually issued from uh, Saigon, wow. um, South Vietnam. Um I don't remember it specifically, but I did grow up, you know, seeing slides and, you know, 
you know, crying over the people who they had lost, you know, in, in the skirmishes. Apparently I had a Vietnamese nurse um, who took care of me or helped my mother take care of me. And so for years I had a big stuffed snake that she bought me and um, it was one of my favorite toys until probably after college actually. And I'm not sure what happened to it, but um, I've always been very much a travel bug. Um, my father was a civil engineer. We moved every eight months to two years. We were not raised as Christians. We were not raised as anything. My father comes from a Jewish background, but kind of a non-practicing Jewish background for him. My mother was Catholic, but a non-practicing Catholic. Um, I think both of them were pretty disillusioned and not interested, but I, I do think that they were probably pretty pretty unhappy and lost in, in their, in their lives as they were searching. Um, I think that, you know, the, the seventies had a a parenting style where you let the kids decide. Mm -hmm. So I, for example, had, had an aunt on my mother's side who raised her kids to call them by their first names Mm -hmm. to keep their self-esteem. So in my parents view, um, they decided that they would let us decide about religion. So we celebrated Christmas kind of in a secular way. And we, um, I think, twice uh, celebrated a Jewish holiday just, you know, for the heck of it. <laughs> but I mean, it, you know, it, it might actually, now that I'm older, it, it might actually be a little bit more traditional of a Jewish celebration because we, we never really lasted past the third day of Hanukkah. So, so anyway, but it was, it was nice. Um, We really, religion really wasn't part of it at all. And Mm -hmm. nor was I interested. Um, Their parenting style was, was kind of uh, not consistent. Uh, So, you know, my personality was very strong willed. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of in survival, self care kind of mode. Um, we had fun, you know, there were good times and bad times, just like any family. Um, we moved around so much though, that, you know, I kind of became a, an adrenaline junkie in that I would get antsy every eight months to two years and just have to go. I, I mean, I was ready to leave. Didn't learn a whole lot about relationships or the need for them. Didn't spend a whole lot of time learning about emotions or how to process them or handle them. So, you know, kind of, kind of just relied on my own judgment and will all hmm. the time and mostly hung around with, you know, older people, parents, adults, uh, didn't really seem like I had too much in common with, with kids my own age. Um, but now I know for a fact that you find yourself in a, a, a group home of some sort. I did. Uh, my father died when I was 11. Mm-hmm. And that was that changed our lives. We went from being pretty middle income, normal, you know, working class family to being on welfare, blocks of cheese, you know, butter, um, you know, that sort of thing. Shopping at Goodwill for clothes for the school year, you know, the shame, the humiliation, all of that stuff that you go through trying to process it. But again, I had no real emotions, so I didn't cry when he died. Um, it. It just, but it precipitated something in the family that just kind of went south. Mm-hmm. Um, the dynamics changed. My mother became very depressed. She had mental illness and she was not around. I was the oldest. I have two twin brothers who are 10 years younger than me, plus my sister who is 18 months younger than me. So not that I did a good job, but I became kind of a very uh, bossy mommy figure in my household. But I ended up leaving home. Because I was willful, and I'm sure it scared my mother to death to hear me being so bold and telling her what she probably was afraid to hear. So there was constant conflict. I ended up leaving when I was 13. Uh, I went to a group home for about three, three and a half years, and then got my own apartment when I was in high school. Worked two jobs and then graduated and went to college. Um, But it was at the group home. It was a private Christian group home. And... You know, it took me a while because I was so willful. I was afraid of being brainwashed by those weird Christians. But there was no way I was going to be showing any fear. Mm -hmm. But um, eventually, you know, something happened and I ended up listening 
and didn't understand it, but something resonated as being truthful. And I was very much a person all about black and white, right and wrong, and truth, you know, appealed to me. So I went forward and accepted the Lord. Then I did that every week until someone told me to stop. <laughs> and that was <laughs> that was my first salvation story. Um, but yeah, I didn't trust anybody, didn't listen to anybody. So everything I learned, I learned from God. Just I opened the scriptures. I challenged everything. I looked for myself, didn't really believe anything anybody said. Um, and God has been faithful because he placed strategic people in my life who were not controlling were loving and guiding, mm-hmm. who who trusted me before I was trustworthy and helped me when I didn't want to be helped, mm-hmm. but gently. So, wow, that's a beautiful story. Um, a tough one as a young kid on your own, um, but it just shows you how great our God is. Um, you weren't really searching for that truth, but you got it, and He allowed you to kind of mull those words together. And sticking with the book um, and and delving in for yourself to find the truth. That's really great. Um, so now you're an adult and you are um, in ministry or you're married, you have a child and you're in ministry. And tell me about some of the ministries that you have been involved in up until the current ministry that you're involved in. Okay. Well, well, for me, because I wasn't raised Christian, I, I never really saw a difference between ministry and life and work. Oh, okay. Um, I also never saw a difference or a dividing line between uh, church life and missions. Mm. So it always confused me when there were so many divisions within the church that everything's got a category, um, whether it's a family showing up and then you immediately want to separate out everybody in the family and put the kids in childcare and the women in a women's ministry and the men in a men's ministry. And that's great. But, you know, I always saw it as all being much more integrated. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to plug into either a Bible study or missions. Right. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so right away, um, the thing that appealed to me the most just interest wise was was missions because I had already traveled around the world, moved and lived in, you know, almost every state. So so that appealed to me because I, I know that people everywhere are pretty much the same, you know, and I love the cultures and, you know, different differences, but um people basically are are good people in a lot of places. So so that appealed to me, but I never really saw that division and and that was a little bit surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Um but that ended up being where I felt most natural. So I just wanted to help people out, um, missions, pastors, and things like that. Um, I, because of my personality, I always ended up in leadership somewhere. So I usually ended up supporting the leaders, um, either praying regularly with a pastor or um, in a support role with, with some other ministry leader. So I, I think in a way that was a blessing because I had access to so many amazingly talented, godly people, um, maybe not directly, but, mm-hmm. but you know, in support of. So I've served, you know, as a chairperson of the evangelist evangelism committee in churches, sang in the choir, you know, just been part of part of different things, um, served as a support person for a missions department, uh, global contextualization um, running mission banquets, and then became a coordinator for Asian studies, which was my background in mobilization. So I think that, um, I think that just the connecting people together and integrating people's perceptions of where they fit mm-hmm. it is very natural to me because um, I don't see those walls as, as clearly as other people may in the church. Yeah, I see that. Um, I can remember one of the first times we met, um, we were going to go to a mosque. And um, as I think I said before, I don't remember if you were at the mosque or you came with us or whatever. I do remember getting to the mosque and we were going to wait until the people came out. And you had a group of 
I'm going to say teenagers, young adults, that you were um, going to go into the mosque and let them experience whatever whatever it was like to be, you know, a Friday night, I mean, Friday after or Friday worship person as a Muslim. And you were you were trying to show these young adults what the Muslims do on a Friday going to mosque. And I remember seeing you there and thinking, is she with us? Are we, does she know we're here? Um, and uh, we were there to, you know, minister to the Muslims as they came out. And um, it all kind of happened at the same time. And so um, we became fast friends right after that. And then I remember um, you asking us to speak at your church Um and I think it was one or two times. I'm not sure. Um, we'd been to that church several times. And so does do I have that right? You do. And, uh, you know, one of the things that drew me to you is you're, you're so calm and you're, oh. but your words are, are uh, pointed. Deliberate. Deliberate. Yeah. And I, I really liked that about you. And I was immediately drawn to that because it, what, you weren't just on fire. And, and there's a place for street witnessing as well. You know, I'm not going to judge that. But but I loved the the meaningful deliberation of your of your communication with the people that were coming out and, and with us as well. Um, for me, you know, <laughs> sometimes Christians are so afraid of being perceived as impure or um, appearing to compromise, that they forget that God's not that intimidated by people believing wrong. Mm-hmm. So if you if you want to, you know, I'm not advocating people all going to mosques to mer- worship, obviously, um, but God's not intimidated by that. And and as you know from your ministry work, you have to go where the people are. I know, you know, and and if if you have a, a I mean, part part of the insight that for ministry and for life is knowing what you're susceptible to in, in a weak area and either working to get strong at it, not alone, or avoiding that area until you're strong enough to address it later. So if you're, for example, as a Christian, if you're prone to, you know, seductive teachings, you probably don't want to go visit a Buddhist temple to mm-hmm. meet Buddhists and have conversations with them and, until, you know, somebody is strong enough with you and your doctrine is correct and you understand where you are and what to avoid. Same thing with a mosque. Um, you know, if you're if you tend to be religious and rules oriented in your Christianity or you're, you're just who you are, you probably don't need to be going into mosques. But what I found is in my particular church is they were very focused on love and loving people, but there wasn't a whole lot of interaction with people outside of the church. Mm-hmm. So at the time, my ministry role as a coordinating uh, mobilizer was to expose people to the religions, the cultures, the peoples of Asia, um, which which tend to not be focused on in American churches. So that included, you know, taking field trips as well as, you know, undergirding that with teaching and seminars and things in our church. Um, and so when we met, that was one of our field trips. Yeah. And no one who was with me had ever been in a mosque or around a mosque before. Mm-hmm. But it is very different when your prayer life changes because of your interaction. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened with this group. Because you can be in a church prayer meeting praying for them. Yes. But if you've gone up the street and met people who are actually Muslim and and believe that, you know, they're not seeking Jesus, right? They, they have made peace with their religion and they are practicing their religion. When you meet them, you get insight into why that is. Mm-hmm. And it you kind can, of breaks down the walls. Yeah. And, 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 and make, and, and you realize they're just people and all the, all the mystery is kind of uncovered. Um, I, I do have a little story to tell. And I remember walking up to one of the ladies, um, that had just come out of the mosque and, um, she, you know, I, I offered her a Jesus film and I said to her on a DVD and I said to her, I'd like to give you a gift from me to you. And she said, you know, I said, I know that you, you love Jesus. I mean, he's in your Quran. 
And she said, yes. And then she, I said, well, I just want you to know that he loves you. Well, I didn't realize how that was going to resonate with her. She just started crying and she thought, wow, Jesus loves me. She hadn't ever heard that. But anyhow, just a, a little background on that, because it it's amazing what can happen when you touch someone's life um, with just a few words. Jesus loves you. But anyhow, um, thank you for taking that group there. And I'm so glad we got to meet and um, have stayed friends all these years. Now, um, I'd like for you to talk about um, a, a little bit more about you taking people to other countries just to experience the same kind of feeling, just introducing them to this culture as well as their religion and I think I meant you mentioned to me that you took a group to China once for that same um, giving them that same experience. Well, I help I help prepare people there when I was working for uh, my mission department as a volunteer. Um, it, you know, helping prepare people to go um, was something that I just I wanted people to feel successful mm-hmm. when they went overseas, and you know, not everybody had the travel experience or the interaction with cultures um, that I have. So that being said, people tend to have a very uh, fantastic view of wherever they're planning to go. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they have an idea of what China is or what Chinese people are. And so when, when you go there, that's what you expect to see. And that's how you interpret everything that you're you're seeing. And the issue is, from my perspective, is that you miss the real stuff, contextual stuff that's happening on the ground in the country in context. I'll give you an example with India. Americans are not used to seeing poor people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I don't know. Now they are. Well, not like India poor, right? right? Like or India or poor. even uh, in Senegal. Uh, I was there and, you know, some of the people that I was there with had never seen like deep poverty like that. So it's very disturbing, right? You have an idea that you're going to, that there are these poor people there and, and you see them, you know, dirty, in poverty, in a slum, in in their on, on their blanket, which is where their whole family lives, on a blanket on the street in filth, right? And you know, people cry and they get very, they're very emotional, and you know, they want to help these people, and that's great. But if you are actually looking in context, um, yes, they're poor, but that's their home, mm-hmm. and their family is intact, and they're still people, and you can still interact with them in a respectful way, respecting where they are now. Mm-hmm. And not where you wish they were. Mm-hmm. And the same thing in in Senegal, you know, somebody made the mistake of um, somebody who had no legs and was begging when we were coming out of a mosque, and they gave them money. And by the time we got to the bus, we turned around and it was like an, an army of the living dead on with no arms, no legs, people hobbling, people, you know, disfigured, um, ill, dirty on crutches, you know, like a whole army of people following, following us. And, and yet, because of the practices of the country, they were actually begging. And it's in that part of the world, an honorable profession. Mm -hmm. So they were working, Mm -hmm. right? But perception, those poor people, you know, the we want to help them. We want to elevate them. And I think that's a natural godly instinct to elevate people. That's what Christ did. He wanted to elevate people. He elevated women, mm-hmm. right? We want to do that. But how? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? And so, so many people who are experienced in, in missionary work understand that. Um, my passion had always been to bring that to the normal church. Mm-hmm. How do you elevate somebody? And beyond that, not just in ministry, not just around the world, not just the unsaved, but but how do you elevate people in your workplace? How do you elevate people on your team? How do you elevate people in your church? If you're always seeing people as less than what they are and in need of you to help them, that's a problem, mm-hmm. right? Because that's not what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. He met people where they are, mm-hmm. respected and loved them where they are. Didn't try to change them, just tried to meet their need where they were. And and so often the simplicity of that seems too simple. Yeah. Okay. I do want to talk about, which I think is an awesome part of your ministry. And I know that you have a ministry called A-Square. And um, it's 
it focuses on um, one thing. But part of A Square is this language um, piece that you you have available to your people. And I really want to talk about that because for a lot of us that are in ministry, um, language is an issue. Um, as we minister to, you know, some people in the Santa Ana area, there's a lot of people down there that um, speak Spanish only. And there's a lot of pockets all over the, you know, greater L.A. area that are Spanish-speaking only people. And so for some of us that are in ministry with those um, people that speak Spanish only and have a heart for that, they can pick up a language very, very quickly through this language piece of your ministry. Now, I'd like for you to talk about that um, in these last 15 minutes. And um, so it's the language piece is called? It's, uh, it's one of our projects. Um, it's called the Global Expressions Language Learning Project. Um, it's one of two projects, two programs that, that we have. Um, a Squared Lamp Groups is a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, we're not classified necessarily as a religious group, but we do serve people of all faiths and backgrounds and inclinations. Um, our faith-based focus um, obviously has a personal component from, from me and my faith and, you know, biblical centers. Um, one of the issues that led to this particular project emerging um, were two things. Number one, we live in a, a global business world, and the people who need to be empowered um, often, particularly in, in America, don't speak a second language, mm -hmm. nor do they have the opportunity to. Mm -hmm. So addressing that was important. Um, any skill that you have that would provide leverage is good. The second piece was that increasingly um, short-term missions and mission trips began um, shifting. Mm -hmm. So the, the focus of missions began going away from relationships and sister churches overseas to um, native leadership overseas, and we just support them. And so you have maybe one or two people in the church. So when you bring a short-term group over there, None of them speak the language or have a, a true connection with the ministry itself. They're there kind of uh, with a ministry of presence, just kind of smiling and nodding and passing out things or building something or whatever that looks like. So the, there were a number of people that I met personally who had been on short-term trips and just even though it was a, a great trip, just felt there was something missing. You know, if God called me here, they would say, um, but I can't talk to anybody. I can't share Jesus. Then I'm just a nice person helping mm -hmm. somebody else. Pass out tracks or something. Right, exactly. So so that that was the missing piece. And, and in one particularly hard trip that uh, a friend of mine who was very experienced and had been a missionary in her youth um, in China, and, and she came back so exhausted and dejected and and feeling like um, there, it just was not working with short-term trips that she never went on another one. Mm -hmm. And that should not be because God is about relationships and those should be fostered. So this global, global expression project was kind of born out of both of those needs and helping, helping to get people connected through the language learning. Um, so it's not just the rote idea of you have to learn a language. It's the idea of having some fun with some people and forming groups together so you can do that. Okay, so I know from experience that um, that M2M, which is George Saig's ministry, um, which is what um, my husband and I were involved in for years, um, has that component on their website so that they can get to the language piece and in, in the event they... Um, and a lot of a lot of his um, a lot of his people want to learn a second language, especially because they're going to the mosque every Friday, and many of them already speak Arabic. Um, some of them would like to learn, and so by getting onto his site, they can link it to yours, or they could go right to your site and pick up the language piece. And I think it's around a hundred dollars, maybe a little bit over. Well, 
It was. Um, if if individuals purchase it, yes, it is a hundred dollars, and for five people, it, because one account can serve five people. However, our global expressions language project is actually designed for organizations of any size. Small to medium is great. So for seven hundred and fifty dollars a yearly subscription, they can have unlimited and you know members and participants. Um, so like George it. could get that and and his whole, yes, uh, every one of his people could be on it. Correct. And um, unlimited. And so um, so that's kind of what I have. And what I love about it is for a very small fee, whether, whether you get it yourself or your organization buys it for everyone in the organization, so we're talking about if you went to your website and say got it for around $100 or for $750, your organization could get it. We're talking about, so I got it so five of my family members can learn a language and there's over 100 languages there. And you, you know, you can pick it up and um, your children might be learning Spanish while your other child is learning French while you're trying to learn Arabic. Um, so I know that everybody's talking about um, Rosetta Stone, but we're talking about one thing, one, I guess, CD for that one language for about I think it's $200 or maybe even $299. I'm not sure. But whatever the price is to learn that one language, um, I know that um, for years, um, what is that language called, that school that everybody wanted to go to? Berlitz? Yes. For thousands of dollars, you could go there. Well, they were going to charge me $6,000 for three months of Chinese. So, yes. Yeah. Okay. So everybody wanted to go there to learn a language mm -hmm. and were willing to spend. Um, I know a lot of companies would send their people there. You know, they had to learn Chinese very quickly and they'd send their people there for six weeks or whatever it was. And you sat there and learned the language for $6,000 or whatever the price is. But we're talking about very easy. You hook up your computer um, and and get in there. So tell us about that piece and, and how to do that. And, and well... The, be the beauty of this particular um, platform that we offer is that, first of all, it focuses on conversation. Mm -hmm. So conversation is what happens when two people talk with each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's really what, what you want to do. Um, some of the reading and writing that can be picked up later um, as you're becoming familiar with it. And also you can ask in, in their language how to help you. Mm -hmm. Right. So you, you know what you're looking for. Um, you know, there's three reasons really why Christians would want to even take the language or take any language. And and first is if if somebody was offered biblical Hebrew or Greek, because from that point of view, you can do your own scripture studies. You can understand what the conversations are looking like in the Bible, in the original languages. And um, from a biblical perspective, that's noble. That's mm -hmm. what the Bereans did, mm -hmm. right? That's what Phil Philippians talks about when it says, focus on what is noble. Um, so from from the biblical studies point of view, a Christian who learned a language that would allow them to dig deeper into their own faith growth mm -hmm. is important. The second reason is because you just have relationships around you. You know, we are very blessed to be in America. We have second gen, third gen communities of not just bilingual um, communities, but but also communities, uh, ethnic communities that that host and bring over other members who don't speak English. So there's an ESL component to this. There's 24 ESL uh, modules that people can learn from. You can reach out in your local community. Maybe you learn their language, but you also teach them English in their own language. There are not a whole lot of adult learning options out there. You'll, you'll see a lot of children's schools and immersion programs. Um, ESL classes often happen um, at a, a local community place, um, and they do have adult learning centers that, that sometimes offer it. Um, they do cost, and they're usually like once a week. Um, and they they can be good, they can be effective, but but what if you had it portably? What if you met every you know every other day with your neighbor, had coffee, and practice 
you know, the lessons that they were learning on their ESL module and, you know, you were learning their language so that they didn't feel like they were at an, a disadvantage as well. I, I do think that, that there's a huge witnessing tool, too. It, it's an opportunity, um, you know, using your connections and your relationships to just be who you are and share who you are in Christ. You know, that those are opportunities that have to be created and they need to be created authentically mm-hmm. because People are tired of being manipulated mm-hmm. for some kind of, you know, gospel mandate. Yes, you need to, you do need to share the gospel. You need to share the right message at the right time. You need to put yourself out there. I agree. But there are so many opportunities that, that can be fostered in, in an organic, loving, real, authentic way mm-hmm. that, that can happen here. And, and language is one of them because language is how people think and feel and their heart. It's their heart language. Um, and to connect with somebody, even in a small way, creates an opportunity. Um, the third reason would be just for global missions. I mean, what, you know, maybe you're not fluid in the, in the language itself, but if you can converse with somebody when you're there in, in a way that is forming a meaningful connection, um, I think even just making the effort, people appreciate that. Um, you know, when I was in Cambodia, you know, of course you have interpreters, right? Well, you know, we're sharing the gospel message and, you know, we went to a women's center. Well, we had three interpreters, right? So it went from like, you know, English to Vietnamese to Cambodian, right? And then, Mm -hmm. and then all the way back, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's great, but you never actually know what, what message is being heard, (laughs) At the other end. Yeah, you just have to trust. Yeah. You, you kind of have to trust. And, and that's great if you have to trust. But there are also opportunities where even just, you know, trying a conversational phrase that you've just learned can bring a smile mm-hmm. to their face. And, and without that, you, you don't have that opening where they can actually hear um, in a yeah. real way. I know I know that um, every time I go to the mosque and I just let them know, um, you know, and I greet them in Arabic, they're so delighted, even though they might not um, take my material or they um, they may get upset at what I'm doing. Um, they they brighten up the second I say to them in Arabic, you know, salam alaikum, they just brighten up and they they're all ears for what you have to say and they'll 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 stop and and want to talk to you so i yeah i i i see that and they don't have to agree with you i mean what relationship what why do we feel like every relationship and every conversation has to be a total agreement my husband and i have been together for 30 years and you know <laughs> I know we're on radio, but, you know, I mean, first blood. I mean, it's just like some of the some of the early parts of our marriage. It was just like, you know, we were not in agreement. I'll just tell you that. Um, But that's okay, Right. So so I I think that, um, again, you know, going back to that authenticity and that integration a little bit, um, you know, we can't be so threatened by our own purity and, or yeah. or the evil of others that that we avoid them and stay over here praying for them mm-hmm. to be something different you know yeah that's that's not what Jesus did and and I'm not saying that we put ourselves at risk in in any kind of um a way that would damage our own faith I get that but I do think that there's an element of integration and authenticity that God really requires in us as we're yeah. growing yeah I'd like for you to give some numbers out to our guests, I mean, our listeners, and um, let them know exactly how we can get a hold of you um, or, you know, through A-Square, they can get a hold of you through that ministry and give them the, the numbers as well as the websites or email addresses. So get your pencils and papers out, guys, um, or you can rewind us, um, because I really would like for her to give out those those numbers and then remind us how to get to the language piece, because I, 
I really am 100% sold on this language piece. So um, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so A-squared LAMP groups, we do have a website. We're a professional and organizational development um, nonprofit. So we offer services, system platforms, and everything else. Our main email is connect, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, at asquaredlamps.org. And that's all spelled out. So A-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D-L-A-M-P-S.org. So it's the it's the cap it's the letter A and then squared um, the word squared lamps like a lamp that you have in your house um, groups no squared lamps dot org dot org okay yes. and um, our our main number is toll free eight four four L D R T E A M so that's eight four four leader team that's five three seven. 8326. And my own extension is 402. So we'll, we'll get those messages um, from you. And I'd be more than happy to just dialogue with you and have a conversation on the phone a little bit more about the program and how it might work for you or your Bible study group or your family. Um, so those are the two main areas. If you are ready and you would like to sign up, get your missions department all on board and you know, learning the languages for this summer's mission trips. Um, we do have a website, and so it's a squaredlamps.org forward slash get hyphen languages. And mm-hmm. you can sign up directly from there. Your subscription is immediate. You can actually set up each one of your short term teams as their own learning group. And um, if you want to reach out, I can tell you more about that. Unlimited groups, unlimited instructors, unlimited members and participants and language learners. And uh, every account has uh, the ability to add five other people to their own account. And on top of that, um, we'll meet once a month so you can share with other people how it's going. Great. Okay, super. Well, you know, I really want to talk to you a little bit, you, you viewers, a little bit about why Jesus came. And I I think about that. Why did Jesus come? Um, I think a lot of people would say he came to die for our sins on the cross. And um and that is wonderful. Yes, that that that's correct, but that's wonderful. But you know, Jesus came, he, he says in his word, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me, meaning through Jesus. I love that scripture when the, the Mormons come to knock on my door, the Jehovah's come, Jehovah Witnesses come, because they don't give Jesus a high enough platform in their, in their religion. He's a great guy, but he's not God. Um, he came so that we can know the Father. I mean, if we're going to spend eternity with God, that's the guy that we want to get to know, know God. He came so that we could have life and more abundantly. He died for our sins. Yes, we're going to go to heaven. All of that is good. But know, knowing the Father, we can't even talk of the Father but through Him. You know, um, there's that song, I I, uh, I hate when I do this, but there's that song, um, The Goodness of God, or, you know, I love you, Lord. For your mercy never fails me. That one. It's knowing God. Knowing God. We want to get to know Him. How do we do that? Through Jesus. By accepting Jesus, who died for our sins, as your Savior. You know, the Holy Spirit indwells in us when we accept Him, when we accept Jesus as our Savior. But we get to know God more. If you would like to know, accept Jesus as your Savior, the one that died on the cross for you, for your sins. Say this little prayer with me and mean it. Turn from the things of the past and walk forward with him. Dear Lord, forgive me for my sins of today, yesterday, and forward. Cleanse my heart as white as snow. I accept you, Lord Jesus, as my Savior. You are God, and I accept you as my God. Turn my life around, Lord, and help me to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you meant that meant that with your heart, call us here at Hope Radio, or you can write me at R A H Fisher at On the Road with Jesus 
com or call me at 951-817-0094 and leave a message and let us know that you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. If you need help with the Bible or would like to be pointed to a church to go to, we'd be happy to help you. But tell somebody, um, and we will help you with your walk with Jesus. And you'll get to know God more. It is a triune God that we worship, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's one person. It's one God in three persons. Okay, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Susan, again. That was great. It's always fun. Oh, <laughs> and we need to plan a trip. Um, Amen, but, sister. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you for joining us today. I really um, would love for you to have conversation with us by um, coming to our website, ontheroadwithjesus.com. And we'll see you here again on The Road with Jesus. God bless you all. Bye-bye. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rhody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rhody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com. Spelled R-A-H-F-I-S-H-E-R at ontheroadwithjesus.com. Or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.